Amen. If you will please take your Bibles and turn to Proverbs 31. As you do, you know, this is my sixth Mother's Day as pastor, and I've preached through just about all the Mother's Day texts. I've been kind of putting this one off, to be honest with you. It's a bit intimidating, and, and I understand how some women will look at Proverbs 31 and uh, kind of cringe a little bit because this woman can be rather intimidating. I mean, she is, in essence, the perfect woman. She's the perfect wife. She's the perfect mother. And, and it's, uh, it's easy, I think, for women to, to hear this passage read and preached and to be discouraged thinking, well, I, I could, how could I ever measure up to that? And, and I'm sure there are men who are tempted to hear this or read this and think, man, I wish my wife were a little bit more like this. So let's read this together, and then I want to help kind of frame our time together in this passage. Proverbs chapter 31, beginning in verse 10. A wife of noble character who can find. So right off the bat, it acknowledges that these women are few and far between. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it's still dark. She provides food for her family and portions for her servant girls. She considers a field and buys it out of her earnings. She plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. She makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive, and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. I can understand how some women, if you knew this woman, might not like her very much. I mean, she works hard at home and in the community. She's making profit. She's cooking meals. She's making bedding and food for her kids. She's uh, rising up before anybody else and going to bed after everyone else goes to sleep. She's helping the poor and needy. Every Pinterest craft she ever attempts is perfect. I mean, it's the kind of woman you just would really just probably not like if you knew her. And notice that of all the wonderful things this passage says, not one imperfection, not a single negative word. She's Wonder Woman. Now, why is this picture of a perfect woman in the Bible? I mean, doesn't the Bible teach that nobody's perfect? That we're all sinners, we all fall short of the glory of God? So why is this even here? To make you feel bad about yourself? Well, you have to understand the purpose of Proverbs. The purpose of the book of Proverbs is to illustrate God's ideal design of the world. 
Proverbs shows us how the world is supposed to work if everything was perfect. If everything worked right, if sin wasn't in the picture, this is how things should happen. And so this is a picture of a woman who is perfect if there was ever such a thing. Proverbs 31 gives us a picture of a perfect woman, but the New Testament gives us a picture of the perfect man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is really the only perfect person, male or female, that ever lived. And when we look at Jesus, we don't look at Jesus and be discouraged. You're not discouraged at Jesus, thinking, well, I can never live up to Him. Instead, Jesus is an example for us. He shows us what it's like to live a life in perfect relationship with God, to live life the way God designed it to be lived, the kind of men and women that God intended us to be. We even talk about being Christ-like or following in the footsteps of Jesus. Or we ask the question, what would Jesus do? So in a similar way, I want to encourage the women here this morning to look at this passage as an encouragement, not an impossible ideal to live up to, any more than we would look at Jesus as an impossible ideal to live up to, but rather as a woman who clearly reflects the wisdom of God that's embodied in the book of Proverbs, who who possesses the character qualities that God would have us to possess, who, who seeks to follow after His will. So the challenge isn't to do everything listed in this passage. I mean, you're not going to find me sitting among the elders of McDuffie County at the city gate of Thompson. Does Thompson have a city gate, Don? I don't, I don't think it does. But you wouldn't find me sitting there, and I promise you Julia's not going to be buying land and planting any vineyards anytime soon. So the point isn't to try to do all of the stuff in this passage. That misses the point. I read a quote that says, There's no way to be a perfect mother, but there are a million ways to be a good one. And that's true. So you don't have to live up to the perfect woman. Instead, I want to encourage us all to pursue the perfect man, to pursue Jesus Christ, to seek to follow in His footsteps, to grow into the image of Christ. Because, ladies, if, you, if you're focusing on Jesus, if you're following after Him, I think what you'll discover as a side effect of that is the qualities of this woman will begin to bear fruit in your life. So really this passage isn't about the perfect woman. It isn't about you. Really this passage is about Jesus. It, the perfect perfection here should point us to Him, the only perfect human who ever lived. It's, it's just like we finished this series in the Ten Commandments, and I said, none of us are going to keep the Ten Commandments. That's not the point. Jesus has kept them all for us because He knows we can't. And the same is true of Proverbs chapter 31. And, and men, let me encourage you, don't throw this passage in your wife's face or she'll throw something in yours. So don't, don't say, well, you know, the Proverbs 31 woman would have done this. Don't do that. I, I advise you for your safety and well-being. And you single guys, don't use this passage as a criteria for the women you're going to date or marry unless you want to be a bachelor all your life. So instead, I want to encourage the men to, to serve and pray for and love and encourage the women in your life to grow in Christ's likeness. And then they'll begin, you'll begin to see these qualities reflected in their life. One author wrote, the, per, the pursuit of excellence is gratifying and healthy, but the pursuit of perfection is frustrating, neurotic, and a terrible waste of time. So this morning, let's consider the traits of this woman, not in the pursuit of perfection, but in that healthy and gratifying pursuit of excellence. Look at verse 30. Verse 30 tells us the most important characteristic of this woman. It says that she fears the Lord. Now, the book of Proverbs in the very beginning in Proverbs 1 defines wisdom for us like this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, 
but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So the way to become wise and disciplined people is to fear the Lord, to have this holy awe for God, this deep respect for our Creator and our Savior. And the Bible says that without this fear of God in our lives, we become fools. We become lost in our own sin and folly and ignorance. So to describe this woman as one who fears the Lord is to say that she is wise and disciplined. She embodies the wisdom found in the book of Hebrew, of, of Proverbs. And for that reason, she's a woman worthy of praise and blessing and reward. So let's look through this passage this morning and, and, and highlight five Christ-like qualities that make a woman worthy of praise. And naturally, this is in the context of being a wife and mother because that's who this woman is. But that's not to imply that you have to be a wife or a mother to possess these qualities. Uh, but, but, but just know that that's sort of the context we're in, so I'll be using a lot of that language. The first thing we see is that a woman worthy of praise possesses wisdom. She possesses wisdom. She fears and reveres the Lord. She's humble before God. She's trusting Him to direct her path. She's not leaning on her own understanding, but in all her ways, she's acknowledging God. Throughout Proverbs, we see wisdom personified as a woman. In the first couple of chapters of Proverbs, in chapters uh, 1 through 3, we see wisdom is referred to as a woman. So then you come here to the end and you have this, this virtuous woman at the end. It's almost like it's a bookend. Proverbs is bookending itself with, with lady wisdom and with the woman of noble character. And so, and, and, and you know, that's just one more example of how Scripture is inspired. Because if it had said that wisdom was like a man, we'd know that it was wrong, Right? I mean, so it's right on target there. Wisdom is like a woman. And, and so here at the end, we see she, it's like this lady wisdom is put on flesh and blood. We see this wisdom uh, manifested in some specific ways. And notice the blessings that come from possessing wisdom. The first one in verse 10 is that her worth is immeasurable. Look at verse 10. A wife of noble character who can find she is worth far more than rubies. Now this certainly is not what our culture holds up as a standard for women. You know, good looks, education, a charming personality, accolades and accomplishments, an upwardly mobile career. These are what society says makes a woman valuable. But the Bible cuts through all the, the superficial self-empowerment tropes, and it affirms that over and above all of that, wisdom that comes from fearing the Lord, that's what makes a woman more valuable than all the jewels in the world. Not only is her worth immeasurable, but we see that she boldly faces the future. Twice in this passage, it describes this woman as fearless. In verse 21, it says when it snows, she has no fear for her household. And in verse 25, it says she is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. I think that's awesome. This woman literally laughs in the face of danger. That is how confident and strong this woman is. You know, Jesus taught us that we shouldn't worry about tomorrow, that today has enough troubles of its own. And so this woman, she's not anxious about tomorrow. She doesn't fear what is to come because she trusts in the Lord, her refuge, her good shepherd. Even if she's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, she has no fear because He is with her. His rod and His staff, they comfort and they guide her and He makes her paths straight. It's easy today to be crippled by fear and anxiety because we worry about our kids, we worry about their education and their future, we worry about their, their health and their safety, we worry about the economy and terrorism and job security. But when a Christ-like woman fears God, she can boldly face the future. Because when you have the fear of the Lord, you need fear anything else. He is with you. 
The third thing, the third blessing that comes with wisdom is that her true beauty will never fade. In verse 30, you know, this passage not only fails to mention any imperfections of this woman, it also fails to describe her appearance. Nowhere does it talk about her looks. Nowhere does it describe her physical beauty. Now see, our culture, on the other hand, exalts physical beauty as one of the the great things that we should strive to attain, to stay youthful and young and, and get rid of the wrinkles and... Get the gray out of your hair. I mean, I mean, Hollywood and advertisers spend billions of dollars and countless hours trying to convince women that their search for significance and meaning and purpose and fulfillment is best found in their looks. And you don't have to spend long in a checkout aisle at a, at a grocery store to see what the world says a woman should look like. But the Word of God counters that cultural expectation. It says that charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Charm and beauty are deceptive because they never deliver on their promise. And, and beauty is fleeting because, let's be honest, we're getting older day by day, aren't we? These bodies are, are breaking down and decaying moment by moment. It reminds me of the story of one little girl who was sitting watching her mom wash dishes, and she noticed that her mom had some white hairs sprinkled in you know, among the brunette hairs. And she said, Mama, where do those white hairs come from? And her mom said, well, you know, darling, every time you do something wrong and disobey me and make me angry or sad, a white hair pops up. And she thought about it for a minute and she said, well, how come all of grandma's hairs are white? <laughs> so you've got to be careful about that. But, you know, it's unwise for us to give so much focus to physical, you know, physical qualities. Instead, we need to seek out this first mark of what makes a woman Worthy of praise. She possesses wisdom. The second quality is that she oversees her home. Look at verse 27. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Now, as we talk about this one, I think it's important for us to step back and remember the the, the biblical uh, description of the difference between men and women. You know, God created man and woman with equal worth and dignity. Men and women are equal bearers of the divine image. But not only did God create man and woman equal, He also created them unique. They have unique qualities and characteristics, unique perspectives and roles in the world. From from Genesis through the writings of the Apostle Paul, the Bible is clear about this differentiation of roles. God has appointed the husband to be the spiritual leader of his family and the wife to be his helper. Now, today you hear that, people hear that, and they, they bristle and they balk. You know, that's demeaning to women to say that they're the man's helper. We don't understand what that means in the Scriptures. The Hebrew word for helper that you read in Genesis chapter 2 is the, is the equivalent of the Greek word in the New Testament that describes the Holy Spirit. So what that means for the woman to be the man's helper is that the woman is, like, is to the man what the Holy Spirit is to the believer. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He's the advocate. He's the one who comes alongside of us, who walks with us and empowers us in our work, whose strength complements our weaknesses. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the position, the role that God has given women. You think that's demeaning? You are, you are put on the level of the Holy Spirit, ladies. You are, you are coming alongside. You are empowering you are guiding. You are, you are being strong where your husband is weak. That's what that means. So we shouldn't look at that as, as being about domination or subjugation. That, that is a, a sacred and very high place 
to be. And God designed marriage that way from the very beginning because as Paul says, marriage, the way that a husband and a wife love each other and work together, is supposed to be a picture of the church, of how Jesus Christ loves His church and works with His church in the world. So together, men and women who possess equal dignity, yet diversity in roles and responsibilities, we can display the goodness and glory of Christ to the world. The husband and wife work together in their home and with their children, sharing the responsibility. According to their strengths and gifts, each has a different role to fill, different responsibilities. You know, in general, the husband is the spiritual head of the family. In general, the wife helps manage the home like an administrator overseeing the day-to-day affairs of the family. Now, Proverbs 31 is giving us very culturally uh, specific examples of that. You know, for this time and this place in, in, in Jewish life. But the specifics of the different roles and responsibilities for us are going to look different. Like I said, Joy's not going to be buying any, any yards and planting vineyards. I don't think that's in your wheelhouse, is it? No. Not in the gardening, okay? So she's not going to be doing that. I don't, nobody expects you to make all your bedspreads, ladies. I mean, that's just not what this is about. We miss the point. The point is, is that how this oversight is fleshed out in your family is unique. And it's specific. You know, not, not all men are good at keeping the budget and writing the bills. There are a lot of women that have to do that. Not all women are good cooks. Sometimes the husbands are the cooks. That's fine. That's not what this is talking about. No matter how your family divvies up the different chores and responsibilities, the point is that how this woman oversees her household is a blessing to her children and her husband. And as a result, her husband trusts her with his heart. Now, this is interesting. When it says that he trusts her with full confidence, the Hebrew there is literally, he trusts her with his heart. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, we're commanded to trust only the Lord with our heart. So it's rather remarkable that here in this passage, it's a praiseworthy thing that this husband trusts his wife with his heart. The point is, is that a woman who fears the Lord, the woman who oversees her household with integrity and excellence, she has earned this place where she is entrusted with the most precious thing this man has, and that's his own heart. Truly, that is a woman worth far more than rubies. Also, he trusts her with his household. In verse 12, we see that she brings him good, not harm, All the days of her life, he lacks nothing because she is a woman of noble character who fears the Lord. Her husband knows that they're going to be taken care of. She works vigorously to make sure they have food to eat, clothes to wear. He trusts her with everything he possesses because he knows that she only has his good in mind, not his harm. He trusts her even with his honor. In verse 23, she is devoted to his success. She has helped her husband gain good standing in the community because of her noble character, because of her trustworthiness, because she is worthy of praise. He has become worthy of praise. I mean, we've all heard it said that behind every successful man is a surprised woman. And and I will be honest with you, behind any success that I may have is a very godly, gracious, and wise woman. Amen? I could not do what I do as a pastor, a husband, or a father if it were not for the encouragement and support and wisdom of my wife. And, and, and my mother, my grandmothers, my, my mother-in-law have been such encouragements and influences and, and, and have shaped my life. I wouldn't be who I am today without the women in my life. So if I have any respect at the city gate, let me give credit where credit is due. And men, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. 
Whether your wife works outside the home or not, remember that she is working every bit as hard as you, and if we're honest, probably a little bit harder. And her work is God's work. She is being Christ-like because it glorifies God when a wife helps to manage the household and, and, and blesses her husband. And if she's working a job on top of all of that, guys, treat her like the wonder woman that she is. Again, I expected an amen from the women there. I didn't get that this morning either. Not only is this woman devoted to her husband's success, but, but she, is, she delights in his satisfaction. She's not carrying out this role begrudgingly, but joyfully, because she's committed to his good and God's glory. And her husband trusts her with his reputation. And he also honors her. As Paul writes in Ephesians 5, he honors her because just as she is seeking uh, his good and God's glory, he is willing to lay down his life for her good and God's glory. And so she's blessed in a husband that trusts her. She also prioritizes her children, and that is its own blessing. We see in verses 15 and 21 how much she loves her children, and she shows that love in tangible ways. She, she feeds them, she protects them, she clothes them, she provides for their needs. We see in verse 15, she even lays down her life for them. Now, mothers, you joke, and I've heard you joke, that you don't have a life, right? Once you become a mother, I don't have a life anymore. In a way, that's kind of true. Mothers embody Christ's command that we all are supposed to lay down our lives for those that we love, just as Jesus did for us. So this mother, she gets up early, she stays up late to ensure her family is taken care of. She, she takes the seemingly mundane tasks and accomplishes them when no one else is watching. She's getting no accolades, nobody's patting her on the back, she's doing this behind the scenes. And though it may seem like a thankless job, mothers, especially if you're the mother of a of a preschooler or, or a teenager, you know, either way, it's about the same. Um, it's a thankless job, but here's the encouragement. Notice in verse 28, there will come a day when her children arise and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. And that day is Mother's Day. So there, here's your one day, ladies. No, I'm just kidding. In fact, men, children, may I encourage you, don't just rise up and call her blessed on the second Sunday of May. We need to be blessing and affirming and encouraging and thanking these women in our lives far more often than we do. Amen, guys? All right, let's do it. We also see that she leaves a legacy for her children. All the long days of hard work, loving discipline, the unselfish giving are so that her children can stand firm upon the foundation of God's Word. As I mentioned in the, in, in the parent-child dedication in Deuteronomy 6, we are to surround our children with Scripture. Paul wrote to Timothy to encourage him to continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. He's talking about Timothy's mother and grandmother and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. So, so there is no greater legacy than to lead your children to faith in Christ, discipling them and equipping them as followers of Jesus so they can stand boldly on God's truth, to love other people unconditionally, to serve God's kingdom sacrificially, and for themselves to one day become disciple-makers. No matter your education, career, or ambition, women, know that this is the most sacred, eternity-impacting, world-shaping thing that you can do. Never doubt it. The next quality we see about this woman is that she is mighty in her work. 
In verse 17, we see that she works vigorously, that her arms are strong for the task. In verse 25, it says she is clothed with strength. This is a tough lady. You don't want to mess with her. David Platt, in writing about this passage, noted how this ancient poem is written very similarly to an ode you might see written about a mighty military hero. You can compare this to some of the psalms that were written about King David and his accolades. But this poem is written to recount the valor and might of a strong woman fighting back the chaos of the world and winning the hearts and minds of her husband and her children and her community. Her hands are willing and skillful. Literally, there in verse 13, she works at the pleasure of her hands. She loves what she does. She's eager to do it. She's skilled at it. She's not lazy. And she works hard out of love for her family and her Lord. As verse 27 says, she does not eat the bread of idleness. Not only are her hands willing and skillful, but her spirit is industrious. In verses 14 through 16, we read about the great lengths that she goes to provide for her family, even to the point where this entrepreneurial woman buys land and plants a vineyard. We have to remember, there's no Aldi or Whole Foods back then. If you want good organic grapes, you had to grow them yourself. And that's what she does. And all of this, while she's got this little cottage industry going on down in verse 24, she's not only making clothes and bedding for her family, but she's selling garments for profit and even giving some away to the poor. Now again, don't get hung up on these details. You know, you don't have to buy a field, you don't have to plant a garden, you don't have to make your own clothes to be a Christ-like woman worthy of praise. But the idea is that whenever we use our time and gifts and talents and the resources God has given us to help other people, it's a blessing and it's worthy of praise. We also see in verse 17 that her mind is intelligent. Well, of course, duh. I mean, how in the world do you manage and plan all of this without having an intelligent mind? She is strong of mind and body. In fact, that phrase that says that her arms are strong for the task is a Hebrew idiom, much like we might say that somebody has a strong back, meaning that they're capable, they're, they're more, than, more than able to accomplish the task at hand. And that's what that means for her. So it's not just always working harder, but sometimes working smarter. This woman's might is not only in her physical strength, but it's in her mental and spiritual strength as well. The fourth quality we see is she is attractive, in all the right ways. See, this woman doesn't, this passage doesn't describe this woman's physical beauty at all. But it does describe her attractiveness in some unexpected and countercultural ways for us today. For example, it says that her words are attractive because they're wise. Her words are wise. She possesses wisdom. And so the very teachings of her mouth to her children and to other people in the community are, are faithful and they are wise and they're kind. You know, you've probably met someone who might have looked attractive until they opened their mouth, right? And they really showed themselves. And likewise, you may know people whose face may never grace the cover of a magazine, but by their words, they show true beauty and grace. Her, her words are wise. Her works are admirable. In verses 28 through 31, we see her children are calling her blessed. Her husband is praising her that, that, that she surpasses all the other women who do noble things. Paul encouraged the women in Timothy's church to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. In other words, it's so much better to be known for your good deeds and your character than your outward appearance, right? 
What's in your heart matters far more than what's in your closet. And so this woman, she puts the emphasis on her works, her good deeds, and she's praised for that far beyond her physical appearance. Now, people love to quote Martin Luther King Jr. that he said that you know, what matters isn't the color of your skin but the content of your character. And our world pays lip service to that because, of course, our world is guilty of judging people based on their outward appearances, right? But as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we must not be like that. We truly need to look at the content of people's characters, at the work of their hands, and look beyond their outward appearance. And the final characteristic I want to bring up is that she was a neighbor to those in need. In verse 20, it says that she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hand to the needy. She's not hoarding what she has. She's she's not living life with closed arms and closed hands, but with open arms and open hands. She's not selfish. She freely and generously gives what she has made. And I love in verse 20 that this isn't depicting someone who's just reacting to the needs around her. She's not sitting at home, living in luxury, waiting for poor people to come knocking at her door. She's proactively looking for opportunities to be a blessing to other people. And what does that teach her family? It teaches her family that life is not in what we accumulate for ourselves, but what we freely give away to others. She exemplifies the gospel call to give ourselves away for the kingdom of God, to lay down our lives and sacrificially serve others. You know, if you look at every verse in this passage, everything this woman does is for the sake of other people. Every verse in this passage is about sacrificial service. Women of God... Men of God too, when we deny ourselves and take up our cross daily to follow Jesus, who gave up His life for us, we'll find ourselves serving others in the same way Jesus served us. With sacrifice, with service, with generosity, with love. And I believe it's in that that we find abundant life. This is the essence of the call to Christ. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's the message of Proverbs 31. That it's in her willingly laying down her life that she finds life. Now ladies, our culture will not applaud you for pursuing this kind of life. A wisdom that comes from fearing the Lord. Finding sacred meaning in overseeing your household. Working with spiritual, mental, and physical might. Attractiveness that comes from within. And being a neighbor to those in need. But the world, it's not going to put you on a pedestal for this. But God, God will bless you. God will recognize the service that you are rendering. And someday your children will rise up and call you blessed. And your husband will praise you as well. And the people of the community, the people of your church, the people you work with, what kind of men and women will we be? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the example of this woman in Proverbs, not just for mothers, not just for wives, but for all women, and really not even just for women, because these character qualities are qualities that that we all need to possess. We men, we need wisdom. We need to sometimes have a more active role in leading our families. We need an attractiveness that comes from within. We need to work with might at everything we do for Your glory. We need to help our neighbors. Father, I pray that we would look to Christ who truly embodies this passage. 
Help us to follow His example. And we pray that Your Spirit would empower us to be the men and women, the husbands, the wives, the mothers, the fathers, the children that You would have us to be. Forgive us for our sins and encourage us day by day to grow closer in Your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.